Hi, everybody. It's Elle here. And I just want to give a quick shout out to our partners and our supporters and the people that edit and put this show together over at Pretty Easy Podcasts. Now, we get a lot of compliments on how the show sounds and how it looks on YouTube, but that would not be without Pretty Easy Podcasts and the amazing team that they have. If you are looking to create your own podcast or maybe you have some ideas of some social media endeavors, Pretty Easy Podcasts has the technology, the equipment, and the skills to make your podcast sound great at your own disposal at your own time so record from home your office a park wherever they will help you out please give them a email at prettyeasypodcast.com once again that is prettyeasypodcast.com and thanks for listening Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and everybody from the non-conforming world, I am so thankful to welcome you back to another episode of Queer Late Night, a late night podcast where we give people from the queer community and our allies an opportunity to share a little insight and knowledge they've gained from their personal and professional journey. I am so happy to be here with my best friend, the whole eye world, thing that goes bump in the nighttime, um, best credit score in the world, Mr. Ricky Roman. Okay, oh, shit, so we don't have sound high. effects. That's why <laughs> we will we'll keep on moving today. We will keep on moving. Um, how are you doing? Oh, I'm good. I'm blessed and highly favored. It's a beautiful day. It's warm out. It was snowing yesterday. The weather's confusing, but yeah, you, I'm I'm good. Thank I'm, you for asking. You are welcome. Um, I did you get some good sleep? I got some great sleep. Good. I'm glad you were able to. Go. And what time did you wake up today? Um, at a time. Okay. A time's a time. That's right. And we are so, we're in honor right now. We are in the midst of a, a hero, in my opinion. I'm going to bring this camera so I can see you while I read. I'm going to try to get through this introduction the best way I can. People who listen to the show probably know that I cannot read realistically. It's it's made up, but I'm going to try to do it. Um, tonight, we're joined by someone I met while working at the LGBTQ Center um, here in Manhattan. We spent a short time sharing an office, but I learned enough in that short time to graciously ask her to be on this show tonight. I'm going to read the introduction. Christina Herrera, founder of Trans Latina Network in 2007, in order to organize and empower the transgender immigrant, immigrant community through the leadership, development, and education. Christina was formerly the transgender program coordinator at the Lesbian, Gay, and Bi Bisexual Transgender Community Center, the center here in Manhattan, where she worked in various roles in, for 11 years. In her final role, prior to moving into the full-time staff leader at TN, she oversaw the development and workforce development programming specifically designed to meet the needs of TGNC community. A leader in the field of TGNC services, HIV, HIV prevention, advocacy, and community organizing for 18 years. Christina, she has served on countless panels and community boards and has presented with awards of recognition by the New York City Department of Health, AIDS Institute, the New York City Council, the Queen Barrel the Queen Borough President, and many other organizations. Without further ado, everyone that's listening, 
Christina Herrera. Much for that beautiful introduction, Les. <laughs> you're, you're welcome. I hope people that are listening, I'm gonna make sure that this is in the writing when you go ahead and listen to this podcast on wherever you listen to it. I, 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 I thought of you immediately for this day because it's this is recording for Trans Day of Visibility. You're one of the people that stuck out to me just because you shared just a small part of your story, but I could just see the work you were doing, and it was very important for me as a, a cis male learning other about other people a part of my community Mm -hmm. and it it meant so much so i just want to say thank you for that because you are instrumental in my education of what the transgender experience is and how to better it and how to even be in the public health and healthcare setting and making each moment and interaction with community members something where they feel listened to and they don't feel judged and they feel their authentic self being um being visible that's it. That's. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't. I don't have anything else to say. That. Thank you so much. That's all I have to say. I really appreciate it. Well, I want to say thank you to you too for being such a great ally. Thank you so much for you know, um, you know, creating a spaces such as this one so our community can talk about who we are, what we you know struggle with, and what we succeed in because there's a lot of good things that happen, uh, you know, in two individuals who are living authentically as a trans and gender nonconforming individual. I really appreciate it. We have some, you know, I'm not sure you probably listen to podcasts. A lot of people tell me, I really don't listen to podcasts. That's okay. We'll get you all caught to speed. We have some queer news from Ricky Roman. Would you like to take it away? Yeah. So um, this little bit comes to us from them.us, one of our favorite publications, uh, by uh, Samantha Rydell. The title is... Iowa's governor has banned trans girls from women's sports. And this isn't something uh, brand new to us in the news. We kind of see this spark up in conversation a lot over the past couple of years. I mean, you can attest in the in in being more visible, we see more pushback, right? But um, that's uh, it's it, it's part of the fight we, we've been see we've seen this since the in qu- any form of queer liberation, right? So I, um, I pulled an excerpt that stuck out to me. I'm going to read to you now. On Thursday, Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds signed into law HF 2416 requiring that the state's academic athletic programs be based on the sex at birth of the participating students. Trans athletes still wanting to compete would be forced to either join mixed gender teams or gendered team misaligned with their identity. The legislation takes effect immediately, legally removing all openly trans students from any teams as of March 3rd. It's it's, uh, it's, it's frustrating. It's, it's sad, sad because these are not only trans people, but they're trans children. These are kids. And you're you and when we're young, we are shaped. It's it, we're moldable. We're shaped by a lot of bad and good influences. Mm. But this is one in which you're outright. Um, pushing someone back for trying to live their truth you know mm-hmm. and they i watched the news everyone's it's not fair to the other athletes and it's not but that's bullshit we people bullshit. join things and it's it's a mess i, I feel like they're missing the mark a lot and this isn't the first time we're hearing about this we mm-hmm. heard about this also in the the olympics um it's becoming more and more uh visible that um people with trans experience aren't being widely accepted in all 
um, in all spaces like they should be. Um, Christina, how how have you been, you know, dealing, I know you work with, you know, trans, trans youth too, but how have you been, how has this hit you? That's the question. How does news like this, all this pushback in, all, in sports fields and entertainment, how's this really Legislation, crazy. Um, well, you know, um, continuing to hear all this um, anti-trans, you know, like policies, laws, regulations, um, you know, it's, it's really, uh, really triggering to me. Um, I'm someone that, you know, has um, dealt with um, discrimination, bullying, you know, violence due to yeah. being different, due to being, you know, a trans uh, woman, trans woman of color. And so hearing that uh, these laws, which are, very backwards kind of laws, you know, it's like continuing just to target our community. You know, this is something that unfortunately we have faced for many, many generations, but continuing to see this in, in, in 2022, it's really a shame. Um, and yes, when it comes to, you know, um, thinking about, you know, our kids, our community that can cannot defend, you know, themselves, our community that, you know, wants to live a healthy, happy, you know, fulfilling life. What does this do, all these policies, you know? These policies, you know, like create like more like hardship, yeah. you know, more mental health stress. Yes. And, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, how can I say like, it, like a sense of like um like guilt and and yeah. and a sense of like being you know beginning to like question who we are and right. this is not healthy for a right. young person to be dealing with mm. no, to be invalidated it's, it's mm. oppressing um and very damaging and damning i'm i'm hoping that things will change i really do and uh, i mean that honestly but you it's these swing it's these midwest states that aren't exposed to the rest of the world to be able to see that Everybody's human. That's it. We work. We, we all have to go to work. We all have to sleep, pay our bills, and do the same exact thing. And want love, respect, and dignity. But that's something that um, apparently is too much to ask for. And uh. Uh, change needs to come soon. Thank you very much for coming for that news. Welcome. I have some queer banter. So and I normally do some queer banter. And I wanted to find something a little positive. I did find something positive. I'm going to read it to you. Hold on. Let me see where it's at have it right here now this is also from them magazine and this article is by samantha rebel Riddell, uh published february 17 2022 so it's a little old but it's very helpful it's a little bit uplifting and since the title of the article is this map of informed consent clinics is helping trans people find hrt in the face of anti-trans legislation community resources are more vital than ever um so a, a little bit about this article before I read it. It's pretty much um, really helpful for people who aren't in um, an affirming state. And for anyone listening, affirming state means you can openly be a person of trans experience and seek medical attention um, without any discrimination. And that's not very many states. And here in the U.S., I think there's only about 32 that has half the laws and protections for people seeking medical treatment. Um, I'm going to go ahead and read the article. Baffled and discouraged by the process of getting hormones, well, you're not alone. In many places in the United States, it's Akron and outdated standards for trans transitioning related to medical care are still 
the norm. Trans people can require to be living, trans people can be required to live their true gender for years, um, procure many letters of therapy and jump through hoops to secure approval for hormonal replacement therapy. The whole process can be often daunting and um, harmful and also uh, worse than just anything ever. Um, thankfully, the proliferation of trans communities on the internet has brought an explosive information help to, for people to find care and need. In 2019, Aaron Reed, then a digital creator and progressive news outlet in America Independence, launched a Google My Map a project to try to pinpoint every medical facility in the country that offers HRT and via informed consent, which which allows patients to who decide to um, seek treatment on their own to do so. Um, today, Reed is recovering from a gender confirmation surgery, but the map is going viral uh, on the internet. And pretty much what it is, it just targets all the places in, it's, it flags and pinpoints all the places here in Kuenes in the United States where people who are seeking trans um, hormonal therapy or to transition to be able to go there and um, be able to be uh, affirmed and have the consent to do so. So, you know, where there is, a, you know, so much negativity, there's some light at the end of the tunnel. Once again, this article is from Them Magazine. They leave all their articles up. It's by Samantha Riddell. And you can go to Them Magazine and and find the map as well as the article and read it yourself. Um, and that's it. I hope that little bit of information was helpful for everyone. I hope my um, fifth grade reading, I get nervous when I have to read in front of people. It does not go well for me. But you, you know what? I'm doing what I'm making it do what it do. Okay. Amen. Amen. All right. A, a woman. Um, a them. A them. There you go. <laughs> we have our queer question. And I was thinking today, I don't know where this question came from, but it, it really resonated with me because one of our last experiences is you went away for two weeks before you um, ended your employment and started being the CEO and founder of your own organization, you like to go on trips. So the queer question today is, let me look at your screen. What is one of the places that you like to vacation to that never gets old? Wow, I love this question. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Who doesn't love vacation? Oh, I do. I wish I could take them more often, um, but it's hard, especially, you know, when you're running your own organization, you know, and continuing to, you know, evolve, um, you know, during a time of a world pandemic can be yeah. very difficult, but I do do my best to uh, make time for it. So I guess I'll choose one of the uh, one of the countries that I love to go the most. Um, and I'm hoping to go there this year. I'll see how things go. So um, I'll say Israel. Israel. Wow. wow. Yes. Uh, I've been there twice. Okay. And I never get enough. Mm. Uh, and I'm hoping that I can go back uh, this year again. I'm already planning my July trip because I usually travel in July. And so... Um, Yes, I um I hope to go there. I'm going back to Egypt again. Okay. Uh, so I guess uh, since I want to be right next to you know Israel, so I might just um, find a way to to get back in there. <laughs> you, you like to take you like to be on the plane for what you said you fly first class. I think you told me too, right? I I fly comfort. Okay, you fly uh, comfort. <laughs> I had to ask because I can't be on the plane more than six hours. If I have to go to LA, I immediately get a lot of anxiety. I'm like, what am I gonna do for six hours? Trying to sleep. 
I'll wake up an hour into it and we haven't left the tarmac. I'm like, this is not what I had signed up for, but Israel and Egypt. Okay. Fascinating. Ancient. Ricky Roman, where about you? Um, I've only been there once, but, uh, Thailand, it's, it's really so beautiful and, um, special. It's, and anyone that's been there understands that. And I recommend 1010, you gotta go. Okay. Anyone who hasn't. Once again, that's another place that takes way too long for me. Um, I'm going to go ahead and say what I like to go. I like to go to Mexico. I've been to mm. Mexico now twice, no, three times. And I love the food. I love the culture. And it's never too hot or too cold. It's perfect, right? And depending on which side of the map you're on, you get the blue water or you get the murky green. But it's warm. So I'm not going to complain because here on the East Coast, New York, uh, Reese Beach, all that, it doesn't. The, the water, Hudson is. The, uh, the Hudson's dirty. <laughs> dirty. Dirty. And you don't even get to go in the water. You can't get into the water on this part of like the earth until about August. And you need to be burning hot. Like I'm talking about like cooking. And then you're like, oh, let me go take a dip in this dirty water. In the sewer water. In the sewer water. <laughs> well, we got our vacations out of the way. Mm-hmm. We got segment one out of the way. Let me see. You know, I, I am, you know, this organization's a little poor too. We got 16 minutes. It says we probably have extra four. Are so we about, still going? Yes, we okay. have 20 minutes. I think this will end. I'll probably have to send you another ev- invite because we got that 40 minute package. Oh, really? Yes, we can't afford anything else. Okay. But um, we're going to go ahead and go ahead, go ahead get into it. I, this is a a post for Trans Day of Visibility. I wanted this because I feel like this is why I created this platform to give space to, for everyone, especially people of color, especially people that's been marginalized, uh, marginalized, to to use their voice. But it felt really important to make sure that I left this space for resources because as as a healthcare worker, former healthcare worker, now performer, um, a care worker, I experienced not enough resources even here in new york city where there's so many there's still not enough and going to other conferences outside of the state i realize there's a lot of places where there isn't any resources so without further ado i got an excerpt how do you say the word excerpt excerpt x i got an excerpt from the human rights campaign that i'd like to read to you christina if you would like to listen to more of that (laughs) here we go transgender people come from all walks of lives We are your parents, siblings, children. We are your coworkers and neighbors. We are seven-year-old kids. We are seven-year-old grandparents. We are diverse community representing a racial and ethnic background as well as faith backgrounds. International Trans Day of Visibility is marked every March 31st. It is a time to celebrate transgender people around the globe and their courage to take their lives openly and authentically, while also raising awareness around the discrimination trans people still face. Their journey towards living openly and authentically looks different for everyone. And given the levels of violence and discriminations faced by transgender people, transgender people and expansive people, revealing the expressions one's gender identity can be complex and difficult process. That's from the Human Rights Campaign, and this was written by the staff over at the Human Rights Campaign. It was written March 29th, 2018, and we salute and celebrate everyone that's out there on the front lines doing the groundwork and putting in the work for this fight. Um, the question I wanted to ask you to open up this interview was, what does Trans Day of Visibility mean for you, Christina? 
Thank you for that question. Um, so for me, uh, Transgender uh, Day of Visibility is a celebration. Um, it's a day to really uh, reflect, reflect on uh, community resilience um, and also to, you know, to provide uh, spaces for hope to all those individuals that may not be living in, in you know, environments where their, you know, their gender identity is being, you know, honored. So, um, yes, I, I, I try to spin it as much as I can in on a positive uh, note, because, you know, like, and we have the Trans Day of Remembrance, which is a little bit more, um, a sorrow and sad. Mm. So I believe that for trans visibility is is a space where we have to re yes really, you know, just really celebrate, come together, talk about everything that we are accomplishing. Of course, you know, talk about like um, you know, uh, concerns that we have as a community, but uh, mainly focus on ways that we can overcome. Yes, well said. Well said. And you are the CEO and founder. That's one thing I want to one day be able to put in front of my name, but the CEO and founder of Translatina Network here in New York, New York. Um, that's amazing. Congratulations on that. And you've been, mm -hmm. it's, how long have you been open now? Um, we have been, um, we, uh, you know, we began to do this work at Translatinx Network since 2005. Okay. 2007, we became incorporated and were able to get our 501c3 um, nonprofit status. And so for the past, you know, like five to seven years, we have really like blown up and and uh, when it comes to like services and support yes. wow. we have been able we have been able to become an organization you know that hosts um you know 12 full-time employees yes. like myself and uh yes you know and we have been able to really develop our you know portfolio of uh, services so we have you know services around like hiv prevention immigrant support services which continue to be you know one of our most important programs and apart from that we have uh really dive in fully to do a lot of workforce development so we have a very robust uh, workforce development and we hire from within the community so if people you know welcome to like check out our website uh, which i don't think is working right now um you know <laughs> but it should be coming on tomorrow once again um, you know, they will see that um, a lot of us in the organization, we re reflect the community that we serve, which is a really, um, you know, a very special, um, you know, process and opportunity because we want to make sure that we we pay it forward. So as individuals go through our programming, become empowered, they also get to become the providers of tomorrow, which yeah. is really important. That's amazing. And you just, and you just knocked it out of the park because I wanted you to talk about the services you provide because the website was working when I went today to look at it and I was it was it was amazing um but when we get too far ahead I want you to you know kind of tell us about yourself uh first question I'm gonna go ahead and take that one what is your sign and how do you best identify with it ah what is my sign yes oh so I'm Sagittarius there you go hey me too oh, wow <laughs> Um, and so how do I identify best? Well, like I, people normally pick the best traits. I would say pick the best trait. Well, I believe that for me, you know, I, I really, um, cherish the fact that I like to, 
to really take as much time as I can for myself okay. to really just appreciate life, um, you know, to appreciate um, accomplishments and to plan for the future. So I feel that I'm very strategic. Yeah, uh, it's, it's a good word for it. Mm-hmm. And um, apart from that, I I do my best. It gets easier as we get older, I think, um, you know, so I, I, I do my best to really pamper myself and Mm -hmm. you you know you brought up a question earlier about one of my favorite things to do which is traveling so um i always try to make sure that when i pamper myself i pamper myself really well yeah um and because you know it's like uh a old friend of mine used to say you know if you work hard you have to play hard and so that's that's something so i try not to you know um I, I try not to limit myself and I try not to like really, you know, like um, be cheap on myself. I yeah. try to be as generous as I can because if I don't do it for myself, nobody else will. Amen. I, amen. I, that's I, w- right. What I heard is you do not take the spirit flights. That's what I heard. No spirit. <laughs> she said comfort, comfortable, <laughs> comfortable. Go ahead. This is your question. Christina, what are you reading right now? And if you're not reading anything, what are you watching? Yes. I don't, I don't, I'm not reading anything right now. Me either. <laughs> oh yes i i tried to how can i say i tried to um i don't know i you know honestly what i'm i'll talk about what i'm actually working on if you don't mind okay on my yes. side, um because um you know i'm kind of putting it out there in the universe okay. so um one of my goals in the near future, probably three to five years, I'm hoping to have my own home and I'm hoping it will be like in a warmer place, okay. um, such as Florida or like Puerto Rico or mm. who knows, maybe another country such as Mexico, who knows. Um, so what I'm, I, what I've begun to do um, in the past like month and a half is I began to pack some of the stuff that I had at home that I never really used, but that I want to hang on to. So I started to pack, you know, to label the boxes. I got me a whole bunch of like moving boxes. I have a storage room because I want to put it out in the universe that I'm already planning for my my next big project, which is getting myself a home. Uh Yes. Wow. That's smart. (laughs) There's so many efficient (laughs) things to that. I love it. That's that's a way of life and way of thinking about Mm. it. I, you know, that, okay, I'm gonna have to pack some boxes, but I'm really have to get rid of mine. Um, where did you grow up? Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm originally from El Salvador. I moved in uh, here to the U.S. when I was almost 11 years old. Um, I moved to L.A. So I was in L.A. for about almost five years. And once I went through adolescence, um, around 15 and a half, I decided that I needed to to go to a place where I could be affirmed and I could feel safe and make my dreams come true. So then I um, I chose to come to New York and that 15? was a, a 15 and a half, yes. Oh. I came and stayed, I, I stood with my aunt oh, for yeah. a couple of years. I did, uh, by the time I was 18, I was able to get my first apartment. So um, Wow, that's amazing. Yes, so in I New York in, City, eighteen. That's yeah. really incredible. Yes, and in the eighties, which was really crazy. It was oh, about I heard. Where, where, wow. was it, where was the apartment? Uh, my first apartment was actually uh, New Jersey. I was living yeah. in the South Bronx, which yeah. was a big difference from LA. You know, okay, from yeah. area in LA. So um, I was like, you know, I, I can't. 
and no, and no, I'm not saying anything bad about the Bronx. I don't want to be, but I was like, you know, I'm like the Bronx is not for me. Yeah, I need okay, to, it's not. I need long. to get away. <laughs> right, right, right. It wasn't for J Lo either, and she like. Um, so the the Bronx, and then what so from 18? What did you go right into college or? So I um I finished uh, high school, and then I knew that I needed in order to to succeed and to accomplish more things, I needed to continue my education. So I began to go to um, CUNY to Borough Manhattan Community College. So I, I took a, a, two, a two year degree um, on uh, human services, which is like prep for like social work and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. I, I went into college, no rush, cause I was already beginning to transition. So I took my time and then about, you know, Four years later, I was able to graduate uh, from BNCC, and then I was like, I'm ready to go into like nonprofit work. And so I started to, you know, um, get into nonprofit to work with the trans community. Uh, this was uh, closer to 2000. Um, part of it was that I fell in love, and um, his family was putting a lot of pressure on me. You know, Whose family? my exes okay Um, yeah because you know i and 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 you know i believe that um trans resiliency is is really special really important and for me part of my path was that i had to use a combination of uh, survival skills in order to make it in life and and so i um you know as i went into my second serious relationship um i was getting pressure around like you know, his family around like, oh, it's like you're not really working full time and blah, blah, blah. And, oh. and, you know, so I, I, and I was falling in love. So yeah, I was like, okay. let me let me go ahead and um, go into nonprofit and go in full time right. and kind of like continue with my path. And yeah. so doing that, I was able to reconsider going back to school. And then I went to Queens College for my bachelor's in sociology. And, and that's when I was already putting together, you know, because trans community uh you know we take care of each other yes. you know and we take care of each other with or without education if we have a right. you know a plate of food and somebody's hungry we share it with them mm-hmm. and you know we care for one another so um i was i, I would like to say i i um i was already doing like social work yeah. even before actually formalized you yes. know like you had your, what was happening did you have your own house or did you you know how um, yeah, I have my own apartment and stuff, and um, you know, I I would help um, um community community members that were dealing with like HIV. You yeah. know, um, back then treatment wasn't as good, especially in like the mid '90s and early mm-hmm. 2000. And so I was there, you know, for many of my peers. Um, we were dealing with a lot of violence, so I would try to you know provide safe space for them, go with them, you know, if I needed to take them to like the hospital yeah. or if I needed to help them access you know like benefits or support. So um, yeah, so I, 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 I began nonprofit work and that's how um, Transatina Network uh, began. I love that. Beautiful. You answered, you, you um, pretty much answered three three questions at once um but we're just gonna go back to it do you want to ask the question yeah um for other trans and non-binary people listening could you tell us about your discovery of, as a trans person and what that realization was like for you sure and that's such a good question um so for me um as um 
a child um, around like five, six, seven years mm -hmm. old, I felt different. Right. Um, I did not really, you know, identify, you know, as other little kids, other yeah. boys, like mm -hmm. in my neighborhood and stuff like that. So part of me did not want to like play with them. Yeah, part of yeah. me was like, these are things that I don't want to do, like play soccer and you know, like baseball or something. It wasn't for me and stuff, but I couldn't really pinpoint it at it mm -hmm. and, and uh, to see what was going on. So as I, you know, turned about 10, 11 years old, when I came to the U.S., a lot of that, you know, questioning, um, a lot of that questioning became internal conflict because of what we, similar to what we spoke about in the beginning, how kids are facing a lot of, you know, like harm through policies and, and discrimination. So I, I began to go through some of those feelings and those concerns because I knew that it wasn't safe for me to talk about right. my own questioning. You know, I couldn't really describe, you know, what was happening to me. But even if I was able to describe it, I don't think it would have been like a good idea for me to disclose that even to my parents. Right, yeah. So um, it was hard. Back then we didn't have internet, you know. Yeah. Um, so I, I couldn't just like go on a phone and, and look things up. Right. And I did have a library nearby, you know, in LA, like a couple of blocks away. But I couldn't just go to a librarian and be like, oh, let me find out something about being, you know, like, LGBT or something like yeah. that wouldn't have been safe for me too. So I, a lot of it, I had to like kind of keep it in and, yeah. and, and, and kind of like negotiate within myself about how to manage a lot of that. So I'll, for me, I knew that I felt like a girl and I wanted to look like a girl, but I felt it was like so hard and almost impossible. Um, so when I got to New York and I was able to, you know, meet, um, a co-worker of mine, because I was working in a fast food restaurant, a co-worker confided in me that his girlfriend was um, a trans female. And, you know, she wow. was pretty. She was about 18, 19 years old. Wow. I was like around 17. Uh -huh. and, and he's like, my girlfriend can help you, you know, oh, uh, wow. become like her. Uh -huh. And it was like such a blessing for me because like I didn't even know where to start. Right. And so, um, you know, she she advised me, you know, uh -huh. she she gave me tips. She prepared me also because it wasn't going to be all pretty. You know, it was going to come with a lot of, uh, you know, like losses and a lot of danger. Yeah. But it was something that I needed to do because right. I know that um, not following my path would have been more detrimental to me. So Absolutely. I uh, I began to take hormones. So by the time I turned 18, I got my first uh, surgery and started to, uh, you know, access hormones. And um, the rest is um, history, you yeah. know, like Thank I'm very happy <laughs> where, I, where I am now. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. I, and it's, it's there for that. That story is touching one and two. I, have heard the story so many times from different people trans experience mm, and it's just mm. always good to hear i decided to live my truth mm -hmm. and that's what you said and, and and it is dangerous and it is scary and i can't compare it to anything but i just mm -hmm. appreciate you and your resilience and your your effortness just to help others as well um thank you so much for sharing that the next question is what where did you find support and we'll go to the next one after that where did you find support so, uh, and I'll tie it into previous answers. So, you know, like I shared previously that a lot of times, you know, our resources are our own community. Right. So, so for me, you know, finding that individual, um, you know, that trans partner, 
you know, that was like a young guy uh, loving a trans woman, uh, Puerto Rican uh, female, uh, trans female, and, you know, him becoming an ally to me by talking to his girlfriend and, you know, and his girlfriend, like, making herself available to to take me to the surgeon and to connect me, you know, so I would say community, community uh, resource was, was like one of the primary sources of support for my life, you know, Um, back then we didn't have like community centers, we didn't have, you know, like safe spaces, you know, online, internet did not exist. And so a lot of it, we had to build community and some of it was even, you know, um, meeting community, you know, in the stroll, you yeah. know, where people used to go out and, and work. And that used to be one of our primary places for support because that's where community would catch up and talk about, you know, things in life. Of course. Mm-hmm. That's, thank you. Um, is there anyone that you look up to today? Uh, when it comes to uh, uh, the trans community, I would say that... Um, you know, and this is a little a little sad because um yes, there were like um community members that were really important and really crucial in my life and for my own development as a as a trans female. But unfortunately, you know, they're no longer here. So one of them was my my best friend Petra. You know, she was she identified as gender non-binary, okay. but um, you know, she was instrumental in in uh, supporting me and being there for me, helping me navigate, you know, different situations. And so I would always think of her. I was just actually watching a video of her last night. Mm. And, and um, you know, someone else that I, I would really admire and that I would really appreciate was Lorena Borjas, which, you know, is a, a community leader that's no longer with us, that she passed away uh, from COVID. Okay. Oh, my goodness. I'm sorry to hear that. Um Thank you for sharing that with us. Well, we've got to know you. We got just to hear a little bit about your story. And thank you so much for sharing your story. But now we need to hear about all the heroism and all the things that goes into having a safe haven, a safe space at like trans. (laughs) I'm about to struggle like the trans (laughs) network. Um, What does it mean to be a, a, a transgender affirming organization? What does that look like? What does it mean? And how, for, for the people that are listening that are in Iowa or somewhere, what does it mean to be able to go and sit down and feel comfortable? I believe that um, being a trans-affirming organization is being an organization that, um, you know, is intentional about the work that they do with the trans community. Um, and by being intentional is about, you know, hiring from within the community, like actually, you know, like, you know, like showing and proving to themselves and to everybody else that they're serious about empowering our community. A lot of times, you know, um, there's individuals such as myself that are looking that are looking for employment, and some of the nonprofits that say um, they don't want to give us an opportunity, or they give us like a half-ass opportunity, such as giving us like a peer position, you know, yeah. or like a, a outreach position that's like ten hours or something. That's not employment. Yeah. Employment is providing you know uh full-time positions with benefits with you know a a competing salary that's being you know um 
serious about, um, you know, working with the trans community, Pro you know, finding resources, even where there isn't any to really provide those services. Because a lot of times, uh, you know, like people, organizations be like, I'm sorry, I wish I could do more, but there is just no funding. It's like, that's not an answer. You know, if you find funding for other expenses, why can't you find resources for, you know, for what? really should matter. So, you know, I, I feel that that's something else that um, there's also room for growth. Um, making sure that, you know, um, when it comes to the benefits that you provide to your employees, you know, making sure that they, it covers, you know, like trans-affirming surgeries. You spoke about uh, healthcare and how crucial it is in our lives. So, you know, having healthcare that understands us and that wants to work with us and our needs is really crucial. Yes, thank you so much. And I, I have a few friends that are, um, you know, in some high positions in their organizations. And that's one of the biggest issues. It's like not only having health insurance, because we all know that's that's just very small. You can buy any health insurance plan, but having gender um, affirming health insurance, that way the people of trans experience can access the care they need without having to pay an arm and a leg or out of pocket mm -hmm. or being told that it's a uh, cosmetic versus something they right. need so you know what thank you those that's great i hope y'all hear that you're listening um you go ahead it's your turn what are some signs or red flags clients community members and other people with trans experience should watch out for or report does that make sense um yes i believe so um so Oh my God, it, it could be so many things, you know, yeah. sometimes, you know, we, you know, we, you know, we genuinely want to trust people right. and we want to trust them for the right reasons. And a lot of times we don't, you know, like listen to our, you know, into, into our, like our, our gut or, you know, our inner voice. And so I feel that whenever you know we're like interacting with um you know anyone else any other community or any other community members you know we always have to be cautious um yes because you know you just never know when um it's better to to you know to 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 um you know manage those relationships and those friendships from a place of safety yeah. and 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 not be like a hundred percent like yes uh trustful because a lot of times that that can be dangerous you know right. we see that there's a lot of like exploitation of our community you know there might be even like um let's say um people that say that they want to help us or they want to work with us but they don't have like really you know, like good intentions yeah. with us. So we mm -hmm. need to just be mindful of that um, so that we don't get hurt Truly. or we don't have to suffer like negative consequences. Truly. Right. Um, a lot of that comes around when you, uh, in the hiring process, when you hire people that you say you want to let the community, make sure you don't put them out front as the answer or a textbook. It's not anyone's, you know, responsibility to educate you on what you don't know. You got to educate yourself. Um, right. So, I mean, you we've experienced a pandemic where people have not been able to access resources like they need to go in person, see people, see mental health providers, see doctors, um, see community members. Because I remember at the center we had 
um, immigration services where they had groups and they would come and, and build that community amongst each other, find jobs, you know, trade recipes, go places. Um, what have you seen, what, what service have you seen of the influx the most in the, the Trans-Latin uh, network, Trans-Latina network? So one of the, you know, one of the, the services that, you know, that was like um, a reaction to the beginning of the pandemic. Um, and it was like a need that uh, really like came out. It was um, like access to like uh, nutritional support services. Um, uh, you know, historically we had, um, as a community, we had always, um, you know, uh, dealt with, uh, you know, lack of food or, or not enough food and stuff like that. And the pandemic amplified that. So we were able to develop, you know, a pantry service. And that pantry service has, has really been, I would call it successful because we have seen a huge uh, response from community. And now we serve over 100, I think over 180, almost 200 uh, community members per month. They come and get, you know, like pantry at right. the office. PPE was also crucial. Right. Um, PPE was uh, really, really important, especially to keep infections down um, at the height of the pandemic. And you know, a lot of our community uh, suffers from housing insecurity. So having access to PPE and enough of it was really crucial. Um, sorry, I'm saying a couple of things. Um, that yeah, and, I love it. and the third one, which is also, it's like a double kind of like a resource that we have provided. So we saw that, you know, we had to quickly adapt to uh, virtual services. Yes. So our groups moved into virtual. So our groups that were historically like 20, 30, 40 people attending uh, jumped to like 60, 80 people attending the groups and stuff. So um, that was like, I guess we were meeting like a need that um, that wasn't being met somewhere else. So for us, it, you know, it made us feel good because um, our community could access that, that crucial support from anywhere they were. And so that was really important. And uh, we we were able to provide um, about 60 clients. We were able to provide them with, um, you know, access to like technology equipment such yeah. as uh, tablets and uh, 5G cell phones, which were crucial because some of our clients had, you know, the government phones, mm -hmm. which would not allow like Zoom or Google Hangouts yeah. and stuff like that. So as making available you know, like tablets and cell phones with unlimited service was really crucial. Yes, congratulations on that. That's amazing work. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Go ahead, you have the next one. What sort of disparities do the trans community face without an organization like Trans Latina X? Let's, let's skip that one because I feel like you, you've you already answered that question. Um, I think, uh, you, let's go to the next, you can go to the next one. What does it mean <laughs> to you to be a Trans Latina community leader? Oh, I think that that sounds like an easy question, but it's, it's really not. <laughs> um, you know, being a, a trans Latinx community leader is just being someone that, you know, cares for other community members, uh, trans community members. And I feel that for me, it's something that was already always in me. I see it's that. It's just now I see I'm that. getting pay for it but like right. it's something that i was already doing um but i do know that this is something that we need to see more often uh -huh. and we need to empower our community so there's more of us um, being able to take 
take on a, like a leadership role, right? Um, you know, so. I have, not everyone's meant to be a leader, though, but it's clear that it's always been something ingrained in you for a very long time. I have another question. This one's not written down, but if you could, you know, share a story that you remember that uh, from a, a person that you helped personally that touched your heart. What story? What what was what it? What's the story? If you could share like a small part of it. Sure. So, um, I was working with um, a Translatinx uh, community member from um, from Mexico, and uh, she was dealing with um, an undocumented immigration status, you know, for many many years, for about six to seven years, and she was already like um, in despair. You know, she felt already like kind of like almost like giving up because uh, she had a lot of consultations and everybody was not giving her, you know, like hope or giving her the resources and stuff. And I had to sit down with her and have like a, a like a serious conversation where, you know, I had to work with a lot of that pain and that discomfort and, 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 and find light within a lot of that darkness and stuff. So I was able to be like with her listen, you're going to be knocking on a lot of doors. Mm. A lot of doors are not going to open for you, mm. but sooner or later, there's going to be one that opens. And all these organizations that have said no to you, they're not the only Coca-Colas in the desert. Right. There's plenty of other. <laughs> and we, <laughs> and we're going we're gonna to find you. Amen. That, that one that's going to say yes. Right. And, you know, Within, I would say, like nine months to a year, we were able to help her secure immigration services um, and representation. And now, you know, she has moved to become a green card holder because she has been able to accomplish getting her asylum. Uh, from the asylum, she moved to uh, become a, a green card holder, which is a permanent resident. And now she's in line to become a U.S. citizen. And so I feel that like that's like such a great story to tell. Mm. That's an amazing story. It's it's you know I've seen the lengthy process that people have waited, and it is something that's daunting because not only can you not uh, you're not a, a legal citizen if you want to use that terminology, you can't contribute. And the one thing we everyone when you come here, people want work. They want to build from the south. They want to build a platform. They want to get the benefit. They want their dream, and it, it it's long and. I commend you for everything you do like you've been doing you've been doing the entire time and we're getting towards the end of the interview and i thank you so much for your stories you've already shared with us and here we, we get, get a little deeper we're gonna uh end with some some advice so the first question i want to ask you is what advice would you give to parents of trans children if you could talk to them mm. so um one advice that i would let them know is that yes you know they might face a lot of like hardship, a lot of, um, you know, a lot of, you know, like rejection mm, and stuff, mm. but, but not to give up, you mm. know, that, um, you know, love and, um, you know, just overall, like family will get them through, mm -hmm. you know, difficult situations. Mm -hmm. And the way I see things is not, no, things are not permanent. And just because things look really bad right now doesn't mean that they're gonna stay bad forever. Mm -hmm. And so just not to not to give up and just to continue to love uh their kids and 
and show them that you know they're in it for the long run Amen. to protect them and to support them no matter what Thank that's you. a parent's role at the end of the day that right is, you know yeah. if they're nine months or you're attaching yourself to someone how could you cast someone away because they're different mm. what words of advice do you have for trans youth i and this is uh you know for youth that may not be living in places where they have a lot of support such as new york new york city mm-hmm. i would tell them that um that help is out there mm-hmm. and they might not see it in their neighborhoods, in their cities, or even in their states. Mm-hmm. But we do have a lot of national resources that are available for them mm-hmm. to help them uh, deal with the challenges that they might face, mm-hmm. and that you know things will get better for them, uh, and you know better policies will come into play mm-hmm. in time. Mm-hmm. Well Thank said. You. Well, this has been a, a great episode and a great interview and an awesome opportunity. I thank you so much for sharing your story. But before you leave, I want this, your organization to, I want you to promote it. Mm. Tell us the name, the address, the email, because, you know, people listen from Australia, believe it or not. Okay. Um, they're listening from around the world, but they're also listening here in the United States. And a lot of us come to New York City with big dreams. <laughs> really big, big, big dreams, but we don't know how to fulfill those dreams. And I know coming here for a lot of trans people is supposed to be amazing. It's supposed to be life changing. And I think connecting to an organization like your one that you oversee is is a part of that dream. So please tell us where we can find you, um, any emails, anything. So Trans Latinx Network, we're available on on the internet. Um, we have a website. We also are available on Facebook, Instagram, and we have our physical location here in uh, Chelsea in Manhattan at 137 West 19th Street, uh, second floor, New York, New York. Uh, we're very present in the virtual world. We have a lot of services, a lot of groups. And what's beautiful about that is that, um, you know, our groups are accessible uh, to anyone who has internet anywhere. So we do have people, you know, attending groups from like Eastern Europe, from Peru, from Mexico, because since, you know, Zoom is available everywhere. Right. So, um, you know, if, if you're looking for support or you're looking for resources, feel free to to reach out to us. Um, you know, we have a general, uh, you know, email, which is info at TransLatinX Network. And, and you can reach out to us there and uh, we can connect you to resources in-house or external. Mm. And our phone number is 646-882-2000. If you have anyone that mean, that's locally that needs like, you know, like food or PPE, feel free to give them our information so that they can connect to us. Thank you so mm. much for that. And where can they send their good coins? They want to support you by donating. Sure. So we do have um, a PayPal account for a number profit you know um and so they can um you know provide uh donations that are tax you know deductible uh they can send it uh, via paypal through our website and also we um we accept checks so if they want to just mail it to the office we'll happily accept it that way too um and I believe on Facebook, there's also a link. And like I said, this all the all donations are tax deductible, so they go, you know, for a great cause. And at the same time, you can save on taxes. Yeah. Yes. Everyone wins. Christina, you 
are amazing. Thank you for this opportunity to do this interview. Thank you for the work that you do. Thank you for being a CEO, empowered and in charge mm. uh, for helping the community and creating spaces that people can feel safe. Listeners out there, you have the information. You know where to go and support. Um, and happy Trans Day of Visibility. Mm. I didn't want to mess it up. I got it right. Trans Day of Visibility. Did I say it right? Trans Day of Visibility. Yes, you did. To everyone out there living your truth, your authentic self. I support you. We support you. We salute you. Um, shout out to the Human Rights Campaign. Shout out to Them Magazine. And that's it. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much, Christina. We'll be reaching out to you. Obviously, this is not the end. Um, and thank you for the listeners. I bid you farewell until we come back again with more um, another great episode for you thank you so much for listening please like subscribe tell your friends share the information and most of all be your queer self be your true self you just heard it right all right have a wonderful evening uh, ricky roman you want to say bye goodbye goodbye <laughs>